And as a scientist, I just, I struggle with understanding why people are using animals to do, to find out something about humans. It, it just it doesn't, doesn't make sense. sense. It doesn't make sense, no. Hi there. This is Carla Owen, Chief Executive of Animal Free Research UK. And this is the Animal Free Labcast, the show dedicated to a kinder, modern science that puts humans at the heart of medical research. Today, I'm talking with Dr. Jan Turner, a product manager at Axel Bioscience, which produces special stem cells for the pharmaceutical and biotech industries. I'll be asking Jan what these cells are and how they're helping to remove the use of animals from medical research and bringing us closer to personalised medicine. So stay tuned to learn about why Jan is so driven to use and to champion this incredible animal-free human-relevant technology. So thank you so much for joining me today, Jan, on the Animal Free Labcast. Can we start by, I'll ask you just to introduce yourself. So I'm Jan Turner. I am a product manager at Axol Biosciences, which is a, a company based in Cambridge in the UK. And we produce iPSC-derived stem cells, so induced pluripotent stem cells and media and reagents associated with them. And we offer services around those products as well. So these are really being used in um, pharmaceutical companies, biotech companies, and also in discovery labs trying to understand disease using these models. Uh-huh. So... Induced pluripotent stem cells. Can you say a really top line for people at home listening? What what pharmaceutical industry and all the others would be using those for? Yeah, so um, let's go back to maybe stem cells. So yeah. um, people may have heard of stem cells. And essentially, I see these as um, the starting uh, cells in the body so mm-hmm. if you think about bread making bread your starting culture it's similar to that you have a a starting cell type a stem cell and that cell can be reprogrammed programmed pushed into a, a specific cell type so that could be a heart cell a muscle cell a blood cell and we all have these stem cells in our body and they carry all the genetic information that everybody has within their body. But what we're doing now and what we're able to do is essentially create those cells outside of the body. Um, what we can do is take cells such as your skin cells mm. and what we call reprogram them or deprogram them back to be stem cells which is really so clever. clever. <laughs> it is clever. And it's and we're able to reprogram cells like skin cells back to be these stem cells. And then what we can do as well is what we call differentiate them into what other any other cell type we want. So <gasps> it's a really powerful technology. Um, induced pluripotent stem cells mean that we've included, we've induced this pluripotency, which means it can go, essentially, it can go to any cell type. That's what pluripotent means. We call it iPSCs. That's all you need to know, really. You don't need to know all the the big words. But essentially, (laughs) what we're saying is you could take a skin cell and make it into any other cell type, which is just incredible. That is incredible. So you could get somebody's skin, a patient's skin, and turn it into a heart cell or a lung cell. Exactly. 
That's and I incredible. Think, I think the other pieces, Carla, that you said, um, you know, a patient, you can take this from a normal person. Yeah. You can take it from a person with a disease. Mm-hmm. You can take it from a patient. And what that's really offering us is an opportunity to really study human disease because we haven't, you know, we've tended to do that in animals. Yeah. And now we have a technology which allows us to create infinite number of those cells, cell types, but also from various people. So you can have, as you and I are different, you know, we can have stem cells from each of us, which will differ and if you've got a disease, we can look at the disease as well. So it's it's an incredibly powerful technology. And that's what excites me. That really gets me up in the morning, you know, thinking about what, what the possibilities are. That is really exciting. So what, what led you down this path then, Jan? What made you want to get into using human relevant kind of research techniques like these or tools like these rather than using animals? Well, um, I mean, I've I've used animals in the past. I, I mm-hmm. you know, um, a lot of your listeners maybe did A-level biology at some stage. Yeah. When I was younger, we had rat dissections as a common piece on the curriculum. You know, sure. we, we yeah. had to dissect a rat. And one of the lasting memories that's still with me now is pinning those rats out onto boards mm. and hearing that crunch as you oh. put the pin through their paws. Yeah. I still remember that now, you know, yeah. it's, I can recall it now. And then obviously you're cutting them up and there's maybe 30 students doing this. So maybe you had one animal between two of you. So that's 15 rats that are being dissected in one yeah. lesson. And that's something that I wasn't comfortable with. Mm. Um, I did do biology. I love biology. Um, my mum was a nurse on a- in A&E for 40 years and she used to come home. She worked nights. She'd come home in the morning and tell me about all these injuries and things like that. So it really sparked my interest as well. Yeah. So the whole biology thing is, is of interest to me. I moved into biology because of that that was of interest to me. I did an undergrad degree. Um, we had a physiology tract that I did and we had, um, and pharmacology actually, and we had, we were taking bits of gut from rats and mice, mm. putting it into a bath, an organ bath, adding drugs and seeing them contract. Right. So understanding what a drug was doing, you know, yeah. how it was interacting. But another, again, an awful lasting memory is the technician killing these mice for us. Mm. And I always remember one day she went to hit, well, they, what, what you do is grab them by the tail. I'm sorry about being explicit, but this is what, you know, this is where, yeah, this is the reality and this is where it comes from for me. I remember yeah. her grabbing the tail and they and you hit the mouse on the back of the neck to kill them. Mm. And she just caught his nose. She didn't do it properly. And you heard this squeal. Aww. And it's just so, you know, even now I'm, I'm you know, it, I feel uncomfortable with that whole situation. I she had to see. do it again. You know, so, I mean, there's things like that in my past where I was doing these, I was doing this work, but just it was so uncomfortable. I didn't yeah. like doing it. Um... Then as I moved through my career, you know, I was looking at toxicity. I was looking at how uh, compounds affect our body, how how we get an adverse 
reaction to a, a cream or a drug or something like that. And it, and it's just something that throughout the, my career, I've I thought well, surely there must be better ways than using animals to to do this. Yeah. And then, as I say, you know, when things like stem cells came along 20 odd years, 15, 20 years ago, it just opened up a whole new way of looking at human biology, not having to use animal biology. And I think that's why it's always, you know, this has interested me is that we've, we've now, we're now at a time where we can really use human tissues, human cells to do what we've been doing for the last 40, 50 years. And it's got to be more relevant to what yeah. we're trying to find out, you know. So I think there's a lot of there's a lot of um, hurt, I guess. I just don't don't never felt comfortable doing these sorts yeah. of things. It was almost kind of expected. It was expected, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of driven me as well, because I don't want to be doing that again. And I don't think we have to do that again because we have such amazing technologies now available to us. I, I've seen um footage of animals being killed in labs um like like many people and obviously that's you know a removal of that because it's just you know it's on a, a screen not in in real life and and those images haunt me still yeah so i can only imagine and and i think the other thing carla is that um maybe it's changed now but at that time that was expected that yeah. was the way you did things yeah, of course. um and i think Maybe I think science is waking up to, you know, new technologies, but there's still a long way to go. And and the use of animals just doesn't feel right. And, you know, even as a scientist, I just, I struggle with understanding why people are using animals to do, to find out something about humans. Yeah. It, it, it just doesn't, doesn't make, make sense. sense. <laughs> it doesn't make sense, no. And talking with you, because you're a scientist, you know, for me as a layperson, I always think it just doesn't make any sense why. And it I, 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 it really validates when I talk to you and other scientists who, who, with that scientific knowledge, also say that it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense from a scientific viewpoint as well as from an ethical view. There's, there's that. There's also, we've got a lot of history of using animals in the yeah. past for drug development and it hasn't worked, you know. Mm. We've got so many diseases that we just don't have treatments for. Um, so there's that, that old adage of insanity, doing the same thing again and again and expecting different results. So, yeah. you know, why do we keep using them? Why do we keep using animals? They don't really seem to work that well. We mm. know the statistics for successful drug development is atrocious, 95% failure in some cases. Yeah, I mean, that's just, it's so scandalous, isn't it? It's completely it is. breathtaking. Well, I just think, you know, if this was a car company building cars <laughs> and they had 95% failure, it just wouldn't last, would it? It wouldn't last. But nobody would be buying cars, would they? No. <laughs> <laughs> so we laugh, but it's, it is yeah. scandalous. It, it is really absolutely is. Scandalous. You know, and I know, I mean, I'm not saying animals are the be all and end all of that failure, but, sure. you know, you do think, you know, after all this time, Surely we've got to change something. And if we we've got new technologies, yeah, we've got great new technologies coming through. Why don't we use them? You're listening to the Animal Free Labcast with me, Carla Owen, Chief Executive of Animal Free Research UK, and with my guest, Dr. Jan Turner. If you're enjoying this episode, please do leave a review 
and share with your friends to help us spread the word. So, Jan, can you tell us a little bit about Axel Biosciences, where you work, and um, yeah, what, what your company does and the kind of demand that you're seeing for these really incredible products? Yeah, so um, Axel is uh, focused on using iPSC-derived stem cells um, <laughs> for biomedical research, essentially. So our customers, as I mentioned before, would be in, in pharmaceutical companies, mm-hmm. in biotech. And what they're really doing is looking at, our, I mean, our specific areas are um, electrically active cells. So these are cells that produce um, uh, responses which are electrically active. So we have our main areas are around n- neurodegeneration. Wow. So any neuro diseases that that, that are um, out there. And also we have cardiac cells as well. So right. cells that beat um, like a, a heart would. But I guess the main focus is around nerve cells, neural cells. Mm-hmm. And we're really interested in looking at different disease types. So we do have patient cells, so cells that are derived from patients with Alzheimer's, with Huntington's disease, Mm -hmm. etc. And what we can do with those is really interrogate those and look at those to see whether there's differences between them and, you know, an an unaffected individual. And then the potential there then is that you could use those in um, looking at treatments that may help those conditions. I mean, at the moment, there's no treatments really for Alzheimer's. Um, There's a lot of work going on. There's a lot of clinical trials going on. But really, there's no effective treatments out there at the moment. And that's the same for a number of these neurodegenerative diseases. So we really do need to do something here. They're such debilitating diseases, destroying so many lives, aren't they? They are. And I mean... The other piece is that, you know, yes, there's people affected. There are families affected yeah. when people are affected. There's also burden on the economy. Yeah. Um, so Alzheimer's, for example, I think the figures recently were there are 55 million people affected worldwide. Goodness. 10 million cases diagnosed every year. Gosh. Um, and I think the financial burden for the US per year was something like 350 million uh, sorry, three hundred and fifty billion dollars. Billion, billion, goodness! From and you think Alzheimer's, about, you know the NHS, which is already pushed to the limits. Yeah, and and uh, I think by twenty fifty, they were saying that financial burden for the US would be something like one point one trillion dollars. People can't afford that, and no, we've and got to do better, haven't we? We have to, and we know you know an aging population is is there. It's mm. happening now. And these sorts of diseases, we really need to do some investigation of these and try and come up with some effective treatments. So are pharmaceutical companies in the UK and the US and beyond using products like yours, like these um, patient stem cells, in their research at the moment as we speak? Is that happening? They are, yeah. That's so really exciting um, and encouraging. And one thing we've done recently is that actually... Um, We've, we've used our cells in what we call 3D culture. Mm. So when you use cells uh, in the labs, you tend to put them into a, a culture dish. 
they're plated out, as we call it, in 2D, in two dimensions. So they're just a monolayer, a layer of cells. What we've been able to do with our stem cells is put them into 3D. And what that gives us is a more realistic uh, model. Because we're not flat. (laughs) No, no, (laughs) none of us are flat, are we? (laughs) We're we're 3D. So you can create more of a what they sometimes people call them organoids, a 3D structure. And and one one of our cell types is for ALS, so Mm. uh, MND, motor neuron disease. Um, uh, So we have a patient line uh, that has ALS. We also have a... A sibling of that person uh, who doesn't have who ALS, doesn't have, right? So almost like the control yeah. for that for that uh, for that person who has that condition. And what we've been able to do is create a three D culture with our. So we have um, some skeletal muscle, so muscle in your arms and legs, mm-hmm. and the motor neurons that come from your brain down to those muscles. We've created uh, a three D model using both of those wow. in culture. And we've been able to really see the difference between the ALS patient and their sibling. There's more firing, you know, there's, there's changes within the ALS model that you don't see in the Goodness, in the, that's uh, incredible. Sibling. I'm getting shivers, Jan. Yeah, and, and, and I think that's the thing is, you know, be, being able to, to create these models, as we call them, um, is the stuff that gets me out of bed that makes me excited about my job and you know it's just incredible what what potential there is there with these models absolutely so I mean this might be an impossible question but I'm going to ask it um how far away do you think we might be from actually having some real benefit for patients well I think our cells are typically used um before the drugs or the treatments go into the clinic, into humans. Um, And we have customers using them now. So we know that Mm. people are using them. And, you know, one area we're really interested in as well is this concept of um, trial in a dish, clinical trial in a dish, disease in a dish, whatever you want to call it. Mm. Um, But it's a way that you can actually, um, if you take those disease cell types, and put them into a dish, you can screen your compounds, your drug compounds, to Mm -hmm. see whether they will affect individual patients. And that really is an incredibly powerful technique. And and we know, you know, people who come to Axel are looking for that sort of thing. They want panels of of disease models, panels of uh, matched control models, so they Mm -hmm. can really see the the difference. And they can put those in a dish. And uh, there's a term that's being banded around now called patient stratification and that's really what it is personalized medicine it is so you can create these disease in a dish and then you'll see which patients are affected and which aren't because not everybody will be as we said everybody's different different. and then you can actually pull out those people those populations that will respond and they can be the ones that receive the treatment when it goes into clinical trial so that's where axel sits at the moment is we're we're trying to create those sort of panels and have those disease models so that people can use them so that pharmaceutical companies can use them to test their potential drugs before it even goes into a human and i think that you know that is um really revolutionizing that whole what we call preclinical space the non non-human you know the the testing space before yeah. it goes into human 
So that just sounds like it's not that far off then, Jan, like it's no, happening now. It is happening now. We, you know, Fantastic. as I say, we, we have people who are coming to us for those cell types. Yeah. So they are, they are doing that, which is, yeah, it's brilliant. Could this then quite quickly maybe make some inroads into those, you know, staggering figures you were talking about before about how many people are affected by these diseases? I think it can, Carla. I think um, we've got panels of um, Alzheimer's patient lines, yeah. so patient cells. Um, there's different genetics associated with different types of dementia, for example, and we have groups of those patients that have the different genetic profiles. Yeah. And if you have those, then straight away you're really dividing up where a compound will be effective and where it won't. And so rather than putting something into everybody who's got Alzheimer's mm. and only maybe hitting, I don't know, 2 3% of them, you can really target that and make sure you're delivering the right drug to the right person. And and as I say, those those sorts of trials, are, are pharmaceutical companies are starting to do that now. So I'm I'm really hoping that this can really help address those figures that we've got you know because they they're not sustainable we can't sustain populations that have that high burden so that really sounds like there's there's real hope on the horizon not and not not too distant what what about the animals jan is is it a similar story for them that as we as we develop these more human relevant techniques and they're being taken up by the pharmaceutical industry and making a difference for patients do we see the use of animals go down simultaneously um, I would hope so. Um, I think what this is doing is even if even if animals are used and, and there are still, a, what's the word I'm looking for? The, the regulators still request animal data when yep. a drug is going out to the market. To make sure it's um, safe for patients. To make sure it's safe. Um, and, and that's still a piece of what pharmaceutical companies do. Mm. But even, you know, using these human cells up front, um, a lot of the time they can screen out compounds before they may have to do that animal work. So there's a, you know, there's a, I I believe and I hope there is a reduction in the use of animals that way because they use these cell cultures using human cells before they have to do that animal data. So they can the just knock out a load piece. and say, well, that, they're not going to work. Yes, exactly. So we won't bother exactly. testing them in animals. Triage. You're, you're basically triaging yeah. the compounds you have. And therefore, hopefully, the number of animals used goes down as well. It's really exciting, Jan. Thank you so much for, for coming on the Animal Free Labcast and telling us all about it. It's, um, you know, it can feel sometimes like progress is very slow in this area. So it's really exciting to talk to you in, in working in industry where you know this cutting edge stuff is actually you know gonna start making a difference really soon yeah I think it will and I it, as I say it's it's it is exciting I think the only thing that stops us is our imagination really is as, yeah. as long as we can you know think you know what what are the possibilities here what can we do then there's some brilliant scientists around the world who can deliver on this yeah fantastic Thank you so much for joining me on the Animal Free Labcast, Jan. It's been an absolute pleasure to speak with you and really inspiring. Thank you. Thank, thank you, Carla. Thank you. 
failure rate of new drugs in development really is scandalous. And as Jan says, it just wouldn't be acceptable in other industries. But to hear that pharmaceutical companies are using these new stem cell technologies now to help better understand neurodegenerative diseases and find new treatments targeted to individual patients' needs is really exciting. There really is so much to feel hopeful about for both people and animals. Well, that's all we have time for in this episode of the Animal Free Labcast. Huge thanks to Jan for joining me. In the next episode, I'll be talking with Dr. Martin Ashby, a consultant in palliative medicine who is so passionate about human-relevant research being best for animals and his patients that he's also a trustee of Animal Free Research UK. If you've been inspired by this conversation and would like to help, the best way to do that is by visiting animalfreeresearchuk.org and making a donation if that's something you can do at the moment. If not, you'll find loads of other ways on the website to support medical research that's helping cure diseases faster without animal suffering. From me, Carla Owen, thanks so much for listening. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please do share far and wide. <laughs>